Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Depending on how you look at things, us men either have it really made or we got the raw end in life. Most heads of state, CEOs, and famous inventors have happened to be men. And for millennia, men have enjoyed higher economic and social status than women. Yet at the same time, men are the primary occupants in prisons, they make up 93% of all deaths on the job, and an overwhelming majority of homeless people are men. Why the extremes? Well, our guest today has recently written a book where he answers that question. His name is Dr. Roy Baumeister, and his book is called Is There Anything, is there anything Good About Men? Dr. Baumeister is a professor of psychology at Florida State University, where he focus, focuses on the area of social psychology. And he's authored over 500 publications and has written or co-written over 30 books. Okay, Professor Baumeister, uh, one of the biggest issues you tackle in your book, uh, Is There Anything Good About Men?, is why men have for millennia uh, held higher positions in society than women. And I think we've all heard different explanations for this uh, throughout the past decades. But what conclusion did you come to in your book? Well, uh, Brett, I was trying to take a fresh look at things uh, without saying that uh, one gender is good or, uh, or is better than the other, uh, things like that. The answer from most of uh, history of why men were in charge is that uh, men were better than women, and that's the way it was supposed to be or the way it would inevitably be. More recently, we rebelled against this, and then the feminist movement brought up another explanation, said it was because evil men conspired to uh, oppress women and push them down. But I don't think there's much evidence for either of those explanations, either that men are uh, superior overall or that men are uh, evil uh, conspirators oppressing women. Uh, instead, I look at the uh, origins in the, in the social relations and the way men and women relate to other men and women. Uh, essentially, men form, uh, women rather, specialize in uh, close, intimate relationships, uh, whereas men tend to uh, favor larger networks of uh, more shallow relationships. And it just so happens that culture which is, uh, involves uh, large systems of sharing information across groups and multiple roles, complementing each other, things like that. Culture emerges better uh, with the large network than the small network. And so uh, back when men and women had separate spheres, I think the male network created more progress in the sense of uh, gradually producing these things through the shared knowledge. And we're talking about uh, literature, science, technology, uh, uh, or uh, government, uh, political, economic systems, and so on. And, and so, essentially, wealth, knowledge, and power were created in the men's sphere. Uh, and it wasn't true that women were pushed down, as the, the, the feminist uh, would, have, would have it. Uh, rather, if anything, women were lifted uh, somewhat by the men's uh, progress, but not as fast, and the, the, the discrepancy increased. Because, again, wealth, knowledge, and power essentially created... Uh, in the men's sphere. And again, not because men are better or superior or anything like that. It's just because of the kind of social relationships that men create, these larger networks of shallow relationships, uh, that works better for uh, creating uh, creating the, the, the engines of growth like this. Yeah, one of the interesting uh, examples you gave of uh, women tending to uh, prefer one-to-one -one relationships and men preferring kind of shallow, uh, large relationships was, I thought was very interesting, it stood out to me, was that Men are more likely to pick a fight with a random stranger in a bar. A woman would never do that, but a woman is more likely to start a fight with her spouse or her partner that she lives you know, in close contact with. 
Uh, yes, if you look at the uh, people are aggressive toward people whose opinions they care about and so on. And if you look within the family, I mean, statistically, it's very close to equal. Uh, technically, if you want to really tally it up, women are slightly more uh, more aggressive and violent in the family than men, uh, although they they don't do as much damage since they're uh, hit as quite uh, quite as hard and things like that. In, ter in terms of violence between husbands and wives, women do more than men. Uh, that's been well established now through. Uh, plenty of, uh, of investigations. Uh, women do more child abuse also, but they spend so much time with children it's hard to untangle. Uh, but out among the broader sphere of strangers, uh, women don't do it. It's a, the chances, uh, say, of a woman going out to the shopping mall and ending up in a knife fight with another woman that she's never met are, are, are minuscule. But uh, to a certain number of men, probably every day, uh, uh, some men end up in fights and uh, injurious or deadly uh, with uh, people they hadn't met before because men care about their position more in the larger group. And the, the parallel results are found with helping, too. Uh, the early uh, psychology of helping research uh, consistently concluded, just as men were more aggressive, that men were more also more helpful than others. But they always studied stranger interactions, who will stop and help a stranger or uh, come to a stranger's aid in an emergency or something like that. So men was looking at uh, this larger sphere there. If you look, again, in the family, in the network of close relationships, women are plenty helpful, if anything, more helpful than men in terms of taking care of uh, uh, family members or uh, sick uh, relatives or in-laws and so on. So uh, women are plenty helpful. It's, it's just a narrower focus of their, their the strongest motivations. Women mainly care about uh, the ones they have the close, strong relationships. It's why the relationships researchers tell couples, well, the husband, you should listen to your wife. She's probably the expert on close relationships more likely than the, than the man. Uh, but in terms of building, again, large networks of the shallower relationships, that's something men do much more than women. We see in starting businesses as well. Women start more, more businesses than men in the United States today, uh, but uh, mainly small businesses. If you look at businesses uh, uh, that employ a few people or make enough to live on and so on, then men start more of these. Uh, so everyone can start them, but the men are more interested in building it up into a, a, a giant concern or uh, an empire. Hmm. Well, you mentioned in the beginning that when you – wrote this book, you want to take a fresh approach. You didn't want to say that, uh, you know, one gender is better than the other. And you actually, uh, in your book, you talk about how studies have shown that men and women are pretty much uh, equally capable of, in a lot of areas, uh, in the sciences, in the math. I mean, some a man might be, uh, on the average, uh, do perform better in math and sciences, but it, the difference is so negligible that there really isn't much of a difference. And you, you argue that that the difference maker... It's not capability, but motivation. That men are more motivated to excel in uh, in you know business sphere in larger society than women are. Uh, so why do men have this motivation and women don't? Well, <laughs> why they have the motivation is is hard to say. Uh, my guess is there's something that's just uh, just genetic. Uh, um, a lot of women, I know many fine women scientists, but they're more interested in, in living things. One uh, I was talking to the other day, and she says she and her husband are both scientists, and they're interested in everything. But when it comes to science on inanimate objects, you know, study of things, she just loses interest. She says she calls it the dead world and says, I leave the dead world to him. <laughs> uh, life and living things uh, just seem to capture women's interests uh, more and, and, and more interested in uh, in people. I mean, we've seen in the last uh, 30, 40 years a huge influx of women into uh, 
uh, into the upper ranks of researchers and professors and everything, but not equally in all fields. And uh, it's not that the fields aren't receptive, it's just that women are much less interested in some. Larry Summers uh, was president of Harvard and uh, made some remarks about uh, being attacked at one point about how come there's so few women uh, physics professors uh, at, at Harvard. And he said, uh, I got into a lot of trouble for suggesting there might be uh, ability differences. Well, the average man and the average women have about equal ability. There are more men at both extremes, both the uh, the genius and the retarded. So in him suggesting there might be more men at the super high level, that's that's probably true, probably for biological reasons, just as the same as there are more uh, men than women at the super uh, retarded, uh, very low uh, intelligence level. Uh, nature just seems to gamble a little bit more uh, with the male than with the female. But even those differences are not uh, not so huge as to account for it. I, I think the, the, the bigger uh, difference is that uh, women are capable of doing just fine in these fields. They're just not as interested in it. Several scholars have uh, spent decades studying this, tracking the kids through school and so forth. And uh, it's not that the girls sign up for math and science classes and flunk out. No, that's not true at all. Uh, they just, uh, if they have electives, they don't sign up. They'll uh, take biology rather than physics if they have the choice. And so uh, the study of things, uh, you know, who are the engineers, uh, the, the technologists, the people who build things and so on, it's, it's much more men than women, and it's, I think, uh, it reflects, reflects interest and desire. And I think that the point of putting it out that it's a matter of motivation, interest, desire, rather than ability, that's an important and very positive message because it means there's no basis for discriminating. If, if, if we thought that, say, men were really inherently better at these things than women, then an employer might say, get an application from a woman and say, well, maybe I don't want to hire her because she's a woman, she's probably not as good at it. But no, say I'm saying at least the, uh, the abilities are basically equal. It's uh, the differences that show up in the world are mainly because uh, of what people like and want to do. And so uh, if a woman's uh, wanting to do something, you can uh, assume that she's probably just as qualified as the man or just as capable as the man. There's not likely to be any deficit in the ability to do to use their job so let people do what they want and uh, we shouldn't try to uh, um, you know force people into or out of fields that they're not interested in simply to um, match some arbitrary notion of social engineering hmm. and it's interesting you brought the larry sumner's thing uh, just last week right after i finished your book uh, i was reading a popular tech blog on the web called TechCrunch, and uh the author michael errington uh, he's he's really big in the tech world, and he gets a lot of complaints from people that they don't uh, that he doesn't feature enough women startups, or whenever he has these big conferences, he doesn't have enough uh, uh, women speakers about you know or women, featuring women startups that are, that are started by women. And he said it's not that we're not trying. He says we just can't find them. And he made the point that uh, you know we look, we scour, but a lot of women just aren't interested in that. Uh, so it's hard to find women to speak or to feature them. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, kind of serendipitous that I read this article right after I read your book. Yes, I suspect that he's, he's quite right about that. And in fact, I would guess that uh, a woman startup technology company would get more attention than a man one, or would be more likely to be covered there, uh, because there are all these efforts to, well, let's, let's make sure to uh, encourage women as much as, as they can. You know, if the interest is not there, uh, it isn't likely to happen. It, it's not, it doesn't seem that it's because of barriers that are keeping women out or anything like that. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. And now back to the show. So is this motivation in men and women, is it innate or is it 
that's something that the culture teaches. For example, you know, someone would hear this, okay, so men and women are just as capable. Women just lack the motivation. Perhaps we should encourage women more uh, and you know, young girls to go into the science so that's something that they are, you know, they, they'd like to do. I mean, is it, can you change that or is, it just, is this something innate? I mean, what's going on there? Okay, well, there are several different things. Uh, if it's innate, that does not mean it can't be changed. Um, nature usually sets some tendencies, and culture can either build on them, which it usually does, ignore them and leave them as they are, or can try to counteract them. Uh, we've, uh, in general, in our society, I think uh, uh, we are trying to counteract it, so our, our cultural effort is to shrink uh, the differences between men and women, whereas through most of history it's, uh, it is uh, just taken it as they are and then tried to build on them. Uh, it used to be... Uh, what might be somewhat in different inclinations between uh, boys and girls became completely different life paths and neither could do what the other wanted. Uh, now we are trying very hard to uh, uh, encourage and pressure and probably men to get more involved in the traditional female activities of raising children, things like that, and trying to get women into science and technology and, uh, and everything. But getting back to your question of whether it's innate, we don't know the answer to that. The people who have studied it seem repeatedly to come to the conclusion that uh, it looks like it's innate. It, it certainly starts very early. The, like I said, the people who, say the women who do go into these science classes in college, they don't, don't usually report that, oh, they didn't want me there or they were pressuring me out. Often they report that they were received very positive, encouraging treatment. It doesn't seem like they're being prevented there. Now, I don't know for sure if somehow they're getting a message early in childhood that uh, uh, is altering patterns of motivation, and that's hard to know and hard to rule out, but uh, it, it seems the way we've been policing all the uh, materials for children for a couple decades now, it seems very unlikely that there are uh, uh, strong messages discouraging uh, girls from going into things. I, I can't really answer the question of whether yeah. it's, it's innate. Uh, you know, which class you take in college and what you choose to do with your career is not determined by your genes, but genes may start you on a path and may make some things more rewarding to you, and then uh, you seek out experiences and things will uh, snowball along the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is possible, certainly we could pressure all men to leave science and then only allowed uh, science, only gave science jobs to women uh, and forced women to take them while we would have more women doing science whether they would be happy and whether they would be as good at it and as successful at it and, uh, and reward, find it as rewarding as men do, uh, well, probably not, given that people are being forced to do something. So it's just it's yeah. kind of up in the air, really. There's, yeah, I mean, there's no conclusion. Many of, us, many of us have daughters, and we would like to see them go into science, and I think we uh, encourage them uh, all their lives in every way we can. And we certainly don't see them getting the message from elsewhere that uh, they shouldn't go into science. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Still, they, they seem, in many respects, not to uh, want to do that, or eventually they find something else that seems seems more interesting to them. And, yeah. of course, science is a big category, and there are lots uh -huh. of sciences that study living things, and, uh, well, the social sciences study people, and uh, uh, there are plenty of women in those, and uh, uh, many having, uh, having outstanding careers. But the interest in things and in uh, um, small bits of uh, non-living reality they don't seem in general to capture the female imagination as much as the male. Hmm. All right. Well, so you argue in your book as well that there's a dark underbelly to the success or the, I guess, the enjoyment of status that men have 
have had for the most part in the, the economic and um, social world. But there's also, you know, so there's this dark underbelly and that men are also seen as expendable by culture. Can you explain how culture exploits men in a negative fashion? Yes. Well, uh, that was one of the uh, the themes, uh, one of the things that got started me on it is, well, I say the feminist critique of society said, looked up at the top and said, well, look at uh, the president and the Congress and the CEOs of t- chief executives and uh, the powerful, rich people around the world, and they're more men than women. And they thought, okay, well, it must be great to be a man. Society set up to favor men. But uh, a social scientist has to look at both sides. So if you look down at the bottom, uh, you see mostly men, too. You see who's, uh, who's in prison, who's homeless, who's dead on the job, who's uh, you know, sent off to die in battle. Men are there, too. Uh, latest, latest statistic, uh, deaths on the job in the United States, 93% men. Uh, so men are just uh, doing many more dangerous jobs than women. And this is not unique to the United States. This is, uh, this is true pretty much all over the world. Uh, societies tend to uh, give bigger rewards and bigger punishments to males. There are there's, there's simply a lot of jobs in a culture, a lot of positions that are more high risk, high reward. And uh, so it's a matter of would you take the risk for the higher reward. Uh, certainly jobs that have the possibility of getting you killed have to pay a little extra because otherwise who would take such a job uh, as compared to another job? That's one of the things contributes to difference in the salaries between men and women. Men will, will do more of these dangerous jobs. Now, society tends to shield women from doing these risky things that will get them career, uh, killed or have their lives wasted or uh, seriously injured in other ways probably for rather simple biological reasons. Throughout most of history, most cultures, most societies were competing against others, and your very survival depended on being uh, strong enough to uh, stand up to your neighbors. And, well, the larger the group, the more successful you're going to be. Uh, losing population and um, having too few of you to uh, uh, to last or to uh, maintain a competitive uh, advantage that was uh, that was fatal to a society and, and and it's true there's no question look at almost all societies in the history of the world they've encouraged their their uh, people to have more children uh, more children are simply seen as a as better they're better for the economy they're better for the health of the society uh and so forth but the number of children you have depends on the number of women you have uh, and that's a simple fact of biology a woman most women have at least one child, and it's hard for a woman to have more than about a dozen, whereas a single man certainly can have uh, hundreds of children. There are reports of men having over a 1,000 children. So if you lose a whole bunch of your men, say you have a big war and uh, half of your, your men are killed, well, the next generation can still be full size. Uh, but if you lose half your women, your next generation is going to be significantly smaller in size. So for maintaining population and this... Uh, increasing population, which again has been the goal of most societies, most cultures, most religions in, in the history of the world. Not not all, but most and certainly most successful ones. You want to make sure that uh, most of your women uh, stay alive, are able to reach adulthood and, and bear children. Uh, whereas, again, uh, one man can go from woman to woman and have lots of different children in the same year, whereas uh, a woman who goes from man to man still can only have about one child per year. Hmm. 
Um, so I think that's one reason. Uh, another reason that uh, society looks at men as expendable it goes with the kind of social networks and, and groups that men create. The larger uh, groups, uh, people are replaceable in them. So if you look at a, a corporation or a military unit or an orchestra or whatever, uh, you know, a sports team, everyone in it gets replaced over time. But look at these the small relationships in a family, you can't really replace a child's mother, uh, get another woman to do some of the work, but uh, it's it's really a different family if the mother dies and another woman is brought in and so on. So uh, women are cultivated by their, their style of social relations to understanding themselves as valuable and precious, uh, and men more to see themselves as, as expendable. Turning to how society exploits uh, men, it will, uh, uh, again, assign men the dangerous jobs, uh, attract men into things with well, uh, exploration, where uh, a dozen people might go exploring and half of them get killed and some come back with nothing. Uh, but one or two every so often come back and have found something really uh, wonderful and that's something that will enrich uh, the group. Well, uh, then society gives those men a lot of rewards, uh, but... Uh, but again, uh, we don't. We're not looking. We're not attending to all the other men who uh, lost out and maybe lost their lives in doing that. The same with uh, fighting in battle. Uh, somebody has to fight in battle against uh, uh, the enemies. Uh, these days, given the technology, uh, certainly don't need to be uh, uh, strong and husky or have the big shoulders or the, the few biological uh, differences in physical powers between the strength. Um, but still, there's a sense of uh, uh, wanting to to protect women from that, and that that somehow men are uh, are more expendable. Even on the uh, the Titanic, it, it was interesting to notice. I mean, there was a case where uh, a ship was going down, and uh, uh, well, there were thousands of people aboard, and uh, there weren't enough seats in the lifeboats, and they gave them to the women. Uh, the men, uh, you might have uh, thought, uh, well, patriarchy should count uh, for something, and. The rich and successful men, but the, the rich and uh, powerful men on there actually had a lower survival rate than the poorest level of women. So, uh, uh, you know, all your wealth and power didn't didn't do any good, even for saving your life. Uh, under those circumstances, it was better to be a to be a woman. And again, I think uh, women and children. That the society, our society, uh, pretty much every society sees women and children as somehow more precious and more valuable than men. The phrase. Uh, even women chil and with children were killed, um, which one still sees uh, in the news every month or so. Um, what that means is that, well, maybe it's bad if men are killed, but it's, it's worse if women and children are killed because women and children are more valuable than men. Join us next time for part two of our interview with Dr. Roy Baumeister as we discuss his book, Is There Anything Good About Men?, until next time, stay manly.